Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the A2 Church, A2 representing the book of Acts, chapter 2, although we're taking it in context, the first eight chapters of the book of Acts. We're talking about building a particular kind of a church. I've tried to lay some foundation for the last few messages so that you can think with me, that you can also begin to understand it's not just my idea, it's a God idea. What kind of a church does God want to build? When we realize what kind of a church it is, we can put our hand to the plow, we can put our hand to the labor, we can put our shoulder to the work, and we can accomplish what God wants to accomplish. I asked you, what kind of a church do you think God might want to build? You gave me hundreds and hundreds of answers. Most of them were very, very good. Then I gave you out of Scripture about 50 or 60 different pictures from God's heart to us through the Scriptures on how God sees the church and what kind of a church God is actually building. Then last message... I gave you actually seven characteristics of the A2 church as seen in the first eight chapters of the book of Acts, one of which we're going to take up this morning. And then I gave you the characteristics of a person that works and builds the A2 church. That person is a fully devoted follower of Christ. Say it out loud with me. A Now turn to your neighbor and say, That's what I am. How about, that's what I want to be. So we're all becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, which means we move from the believer stage to the disciple stage. We actually become those who do the work of the kingdom of God. All right, I'd like to deal this morning with the subject of a reaching people impacting the region church. It's one of the characteristics that we gave you last week. A reaching people and impacting the region church. I'd like you to go to the book of Acts and mark some scriptures with me. All right, you have your Bibles. Of course, I use the screen, but I want you to use your Bible. I'm going to read from the book of Acts about five or six scriptures. I'd like you to mark them. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor. Everyone say having favor. Come on, having favor. So the church is to have favor with who? All the people. Why? Because the church is dealing with all the people, touching all the people, involved with every realm of society. Notice what happens. And the Lord added, everyone say added. You should mark your Bible now. These are key words added to the church. Well, the Lord wants to add people. He wants to add them to the church. Daily those who were being saved. So when you're saved... You're added to the congregation. You're added to the church. Now, here we have a congregation of people that are just beginning to function. The first church that Jesus builds in the book of Acts after the ascension, the outprint of the Holy Spirit, 
this church is now living out what Christ wants to do with every church from that time to now. He says, I want the church to have favor and I want people to be saved. And then I will place them, add to them or put them into a local church. Acts 4 verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believe. Well, what's the prerequisite for believing? They've got to hear the word. And so the church had a spirit of faith that the more they would preach the word, give the word, do the word, the more they were involved with the word, the more people were able to receive the word, and the more people who received the word, the more people responded to the word. Our theory is really simple. The more people we can preach to, the more people we can talk to, the more people we can put the word into, the more that will respond to the word. And so if we have a spirit of spreading the word, putting the word out, doing everything we can to spread that over all the people in our community, we will have more people respond. If you talk to one person a year about Christ, the chances are you won't see anyone saved for five years or ten. If you talk to ten people a week with the word of God and see their life, with a witness, 40 people a month, chances are in a month you might have one or two respond. And in a year, you might have 10 or 12 respond. The proportion of response is dictated by the proportion of the handing out of the word. So if we have faith to really put the word on people, the Holy Spirit has The power to stir the heart, plant the seed, water the seed, deal with the person, and bring them to fruitfulness. But if they never have the word, how will they respond? Acts 4 says, those who heard the word believed. Now notice, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So the church starts with a huge group of people. With men and then add women and children. You probably had a group of at least 15,000. And so they had spread the word and immediately 3,000, 5,000, 15,000, 20,000. The church was growing. Acts 4 and verse 16. Saying, what shall we do to these men? Now there's been the prayer and the miracle. For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. And it's evident, I'd like you to just note these clear, simple words. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. Doesn't say anything about the other communities or cities or provinces. But the miracle shook the city. One miracle and the whole city, through word of mouth, heard about the miracle. So all of Jerusalem is moved by this notable miracle that everyone is talking about. And it says, we can't deny it. And with great power, the apostles gave, I'd like you to underline, circle in your Bible, the word witness. Witness. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. The witness 
has to do with the Christ message and the grace on them. And miracles began to happen. Acts 5 and verse 14. And believers, notice the language now, please. Increasingly, underline, increasingly added. Where? To the Lord. Multitudes. Now, it's not counted anymore. It's not telling you 1,000, 3,000, 5,000, 20. It just says multitudes. Whatever the church is doing at this point is working so very well for them. Multitudes of people are believing. Multitudes of people are being affected by the miracles. Multitudes of people are hearing the witness of the resurrection of Christ. Multitudes of people, meaning it didn't take place in a sanctuary synagogue building. It didn't take place with one Peter preaching, one John preaching, one Nathaniel preaching. It seems to me that for multitudes to believe, multitudes have to be preaching. And for multitudes to have a witness, there have to be multitudes of witnesses. So the whole church is mobilized because now the pastor of the church is just not one priest or one man. It's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come upon every person. And every person is now learning how to push their faith out in front of them and be a witness for what Christ had done. And they are finding people responding to them. Not just to the apostles, but multitudes of people were responding. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. And the word of God spread. I want you to ask your neighbor right now, what are you spreading? What are you spreading? Rumors? False reports? Criticism? Discouragement? Negativism? Murmuring? Griping? What do you spread? What is it that pours out of you so easily? Well, the church spread the Word of God. They preached the Word. They taught the Word. They spoke the Word. They witnessed about Christ. They spread it everywhere they went. They could not go to the marketplace. They could not go to their jobs. They could not go anywhere in the city where they did not spread the Word. Every small group meeting, whatever it might be, just a women's tea meeting or something or a fellowship or a meal together or relatives coming together, they spread the word. Every chance they had, they spread the word. Think about it. Think about it right now. If every person at City Bible Church from every service making up what we call the congregation we're responsible for, some 4,500 people. If every person not counting the children. Take away maybe the seven or 800 children that might not obviously maybe spread the word the way we're talking this morning, but don't belittle them. They can do other things. But of all the teenagers, all the junior hires, all the college kids, all the young couples, all the singles, all the business people, every person that works at the hospital, at the insurance firm, at the cafeteria, those who drive the bus, those who drive the taxi, those who build homes, the electrician, wherever you are, I may never get your construction crew into one of our services. I may never get that framer or that finisher or that electrician or that man who drives the tractor. I may never be able to talk to the politicians down at the Capitol. I may never be able to talk to every one of them about Christ and the Word and what I would like to say to them personally one-on-one. But what happens is that the body of Christ, the church, 
becomes motivated by the Holy Spirit to impact a region and to reach people. Every person becomes a preacher and every place you go becomes your church. Your office is where you pastor. The people you work with are your parishioners. You are to pray for them, talk with them, reach out to them, witness to them. You're not to be pushy or weird. You're not to thump them on the head with a Bible when you walk in in the morning and say, hell, hell, hell. You are going to hell. I'm going to tell you one more time again today. Hell is hot and you're on your way. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about just telling people about hell. Tell people about God. Tell people about His goodness. Tell people about Christ. Be a witness to the resurrection. The resurrection is more about heaven than it is about hell. Tell people about the power of Jesus. Well, if everybody did that, Acts 6 and verse 7 would be a reality. The Word of God spread. And the number of the disciples, everyone say multiplied. Addition. And the Lord added, the Lord added, the Lord added. But then in just a few short chapters, it starts using the word, and the church multiplied, multiplied, multiplied. Everyone say multi. If you're going to have a multi-church, you have to have a multi-vision. I don't have an adding vision. I have a multiplication vision. We're not building a neighborhood church for everybody to sit in the pew and know every person in the room every time you come to church. And when John doesn't show up, you look around and say, John's not here this morning. This is the kind of church I want to go to. I want to know every single person. I want to know what they're doing. That is not the kind of church they had. Say, Frank, that's what are you saying? I'm simply saying this. If the church grows properly... You never get into a little religious club of just knowing everybody and everybody's name and having your little convenient spot in the sanctuary in your parking space and your little clique that you go to church and do your thing with. That's not really what happened in the book of Acts. They multiplied too quick. They were not able to be convenient believers. They were not able just to sit in the same service with the same people for the next 50 years of their life and call it church. They had to get out of their zone. They had to get out of their building. They had to get into the street. And they were meeting new people all the time. And they were knowing that their mission was not just to know everybody's name, but get everybody you can to know Jesus. Now, our church wants to make it hard for people to go to hell. We want to make it hard in the metro area for anyone to go to hell. We want to be able to lead them to Christ. Well, when you do that, people get saved and they join the church. And when they join the church, the church fills up with people. When it fills up with people, you add more services. When you add more services, then your friends go to a different service. And, oh, my God, life has changed. I don't know about this church. Now my friends go to a different service. That is the American mentality that we are trying to flush out of our church. Our church is not created to be a non-growing, same-sized congregation right now and 50 years from now the same way. We're not creating an atmosphere where you just have your little religious routine. I do everything I can to destroy your routine. 
I do everything I can. Now, of course, we have small groups and relationships, and you can have those kind of friends for the rest of your life. There's a lot of things you can do to have covenant. I believe in that, and that should happen. I'm not belittling that. But when a group becomes an end in itself, that there's ten in our group, and this is what we'll be for the rest of our life, and you never want anybody to Christ. You never reach out to one business person. You never win one person from your job. You never disciple one person the rest of your life. I want you to know that is wrong. God is not happy with that. God wants us to spread the word. Out of your comfort zone. In to the church that Christ is building. Can I hear an amen? How many of you would say with me, we want to build a Book of Acts church? Even if they take my parking space. Even if they sit in my chair. Even if they fill our nurseries and use all of our materials. And even if they trash our carpet. Somebody said to me, you know, there's stains on this brand new carpet. I know this might come as a shock to you, but I'm going to say it. Carpet does not go to heaven. I know that's a shock. But carpet does not make its way through the pearly gates. Oh, here comes the carpet. All the angels say, carpet, carpet, oh, come carpet. I know it's a shock. But buildings don't make it through the pearly gates. They are here for us to use. If I can get someone to come to church because there's free coffee or pizza or pop and they have a cup somewhere in the building and they spill their little bit of thing, so what? Their soul is more important than the carpet. We've got to let go of this idea that, you know, our building's got to be, and I'm, I'm a person of excellence, I don't like paper and stuff around, but I walk over Mark's on the West Campus, East Campus, on all, West Campus is only two years old, and that carpet is trashed. You know why it's trashed? Because there are people there. If there was no people, it would be squeaky clean, no stains, and we would love our carpet. That's not the way it is. Yes, we use the buildings for the harvest. We use everything we have for the harvest, our time and our resources. We cannot ever lose heart. For the lost, for the unchurched, for the prodigals, for those people that would love, they would love, they would love if they could find a church like ours, they would love it. They don't even know we exist. But if they happen to bump into us and they come to a couple services, I hardly know any unbelievers or prodigals or unchurched people that have come to our services that have said to me, this is certainly not the kind of church I would ever go to. Most of them say, wow, this is really different. I kind of like it. Boy, the atmosphere is just, yeah, you know, I, I really learned something today. People would love to have what you have, but no one tells them. No one tells them. We keep it in our heart. No one tells them. All right, Acts 1 and verse 8. Are you there? Acts 1, verse 8. The Acts 1, 8 mandate. You know the scripture. Let me put some feet to it now. But you shall receive power. Everyone say power. There's all kinds of energies represented on planet Earth. Human initiated energy, 
false energy, demonic energy, arts energy, multi-communication energy. There's political energy. There's a lot of powers on planet Earth. But there's only one power that is sent from God, and it's the Holy Spirit. And that power has power to do something in people's lives. But you shall receive power. Everyone says, I get power. And then I want you to say out loud, and what is it for? Why do I have power? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Everyone write down the word, in your Bible if you want, transliteration of the Greek word witness, just write down the word martus. M-A-R-T-O-O-S is how you pronounce it. M-A-R-T-U-S is how it's transliterated. But martus. M-A-R-T-O-O-S. Martus. Now I want you to out loud. I am a martus. Now turn to your neighbor and say, are you a martus? Well, you're getting into this, aren't you? This pronunciation is just... All right, a martus is simply this. One who has information or knowledge of something. So a witness is one who has information, knowledge of something, who can actually give that information out and communicate the knowledge that that person has because... They have actually witnessed something that they can talk about. They've handled something they can describe. If you ever want to get someone talking that doesn't talk very much, find out where they work or what their passion is and ask them a question and watch them martuse you over. If they're a bull hunter and you're not, you know nothing about it, and you can't get them to talk and you're drinking coffee. And you say, so you bow hunt, huh? Yeah, I bow hunt. You bow hunt? No. What kind of bow you have? Oh, I have. And they start going through all the different kinds of bows. For you, there's no, you have no knowledge of bow and arrow and what kind of a bow, how big, what pound, string, and, you know, how tall and what they do. And this person just starts witnessing to you about the bow. Why? Because they're full of bow. They're full of bow. And they can talk about it. If you find yourself at a dead end with someone you don't know what to talk, get them to open their passion, and they'll begin to witness to you about information, whether it's in the medical world, the political, the educational, whatever it might be, they're filled with it. They can talk about it. Coffee. What kind of coffee do you drink? Well, what are you filled with? What do you martus about when people push your button? When people say, hey, what church do you go to? Do you just say, a big one? <laughs> oh, big one. Yeah. What's it like? Noisy. Oh, what else? When someone says to you, so, I saw a Bible on your desk. Are, are you a person who believes that? Martus, what information and knowledge and passion do you have that will now begin to, in a passionate way, grab this person 
with information and knowledge and passion. Yeah, I read the Bible. Oh, the Bible is an awesome book. You know, I don't know what you know about it, but boy, I tell you, it speaks to me all the time. It helps me. You know, in raising my kids, that book has been so helpful to me. And, and, you know, if you ever want one, do you have a Bible yourself? No, I'll buy you a Bible because it's just the most wonderful. If you are filled, if you're a martus, it'll come out. There's nothing there. There ain't nothing there. I'll tell you right now. When those people in the book of Acts got around anybody and someone said, Hey, did, did you hear about the guy that got crucified? And everybody, did I hear about him? He rose from the dead, buddy. He's alive. He works miracles. He lives in me now by the Holy Spirit. Have you not heard about this? No, I haven't. Well, let me martouche you. And it was over. They were so filled with the resurrection, so excited about the gospel. Oh, that the church might find a new Martus. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, notice what they did. They witnessed, mark your Bible, in Jerusalem. This is Dr. Luke, same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, now writing the book of Acts. He said they witnessed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And Dr. Luke actually gives you the outline of the book of Acts in that scripture right there. That's the outline of the book of Acts. That's what they did. Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 8. Judea, Samaria, 8 through 12. Uttermost parts of the earth and the rest of the nations, 12 through 28. He gives you the outline of the book right there. He said, this is what we are going to do. We're going to witness, beginning with, and I'd like to put it up on the screen right now. I want you to tell, I want you to hear me tell you what our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth is. What's it mean for us? First of all, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is our primary city responsibility. Our Jerusalem is our Portland, Vancouver, our twin cities. That's our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem can be like a Jericho, shut up and hard to get into, but we need to know our Jerusalem. Portland has, as one of the first and main cities along with Fort Vancouver, but really Portland became the first city that grew and actually covered the areas. Portland has a history. First of all, we came in and we took this land from seven Indian tribes. And those seven Indian tribes were basically exterminated in 20 years from the time we arrived. When we started Portland... There were two men. One man was from Portland, Maine. The other one was from Boston, Massachusetts. When they came up here and bought the property and began to work with the government, both of them wanted to call it by their hometowns, Portland, Maine, Boston, Massachusetts. They flipped a coin. And in 1845, the guy who was from Portland, Maine won. And ever since then, we've been called Portland, or we would have been Boston. That's how easy our name was. Flip a coin. But Portland was known for its political corruption. From the very beginning, we were the most politically corrupt city, they say, in the nation. We were also a city that had blatant vice in the North End, where it still exists today. We were the number two city for Shanghai, kidnapping. I went down into the tunnels that they still have today where they drugged men and women and sold them to the ships and sold their lives out. It was a horrible, horrible human trafficking that went on right from our north end. Well, we still have blatant vice and unbelievable problems on the north end. 
We have a very deep racial attitude that was in us from the beginning. From 1884 on, we actually passed a law that black people could not buy land, and if they did, they would be whipped publicly. We actually passed a law that made all of them move from Oregon within a 36-month time period. We were racially very mean from the very beginning to the Native Indian, to the African American. We wanted Portland to be the white man's paradise. That's what it was called, the white man's paradise. Well, we have a history. So my responsibility in Portland is to find that, try some of that stuff out of the rottenness and make sure that we don't fall into that anymore and make sure that we know how to preach to our Jerusalem. In 1905, we had the Great Awakening Revival that came not just here but around the nation. In 1905, the stores closed down from 11 to 2. There was an awesome revival in the marketplace. Did you know that the ship captains ceased bringing their ships to Portland during that year because so many sailors were being converted and leaving their ships when they got to Portland? They quit bringing their ships to Portland because their crews would get saved and not return. In 1924, Dr. John G. Lake started a revival. There were thousands of people affected by his teaching and preaching on the supernatural, especially on healing. 1950 was one of Billy Graham's greatest crusades right here in Portland. That's where he started the famous Hour of Prayer, Hour of Decision broadcast, started right here. It was an awesome crusade. Over 500,000 people attended that crusade in 1950. Think of that, think of that attendance-wise. In 1960, we had the huge charismatic renewal that swept through the churches and affected Episcopalians and Presbyterians and Baptists and Lutheran, and it just shook our city, Holy Spirit-wise. In 1968, Graham returned, but this time only 200,000 people came out, and he himself said, the darkness of the city has so grown, it has overtaken the power of the crusade. That's what Graham said. He had no power to to penetrate during the 68 time. He came back again in 1992. It was one of the only two Graham Crusades he did in our nation in 1992. We were one of them. I was here for it. There are 303,000 people that attended, 15,000 decisions. And Graham said it was one of the best crusades he had had in our nation in many, many years. Something had changed in Portland. Well, as we begin to preach, we have responsibility for Portland. We have responsibility to understand what to do with our area, not only with Portland, Vancouver, because it's our city, it's our Jerusalem. Second, we have a Judea. Judea is our primary region. Our metro area out and around with all the towns and villages within maybe a 50-mile radius. We also have our Samaria. Our Samaria is our ethnic diversity responsibility because the Samaritans represent what in the book of Acts they had to break down the wall between the Samaritans. We have that. We have 42 languages being spoken in our public schools right now. 42 languages. We have huge ethnic groups that have moved in. Over 50% of the population in the last 10 years that have moved into the metro area are ethnic groups. We have a huge Russian, Romanian, Korean, Hispanic, Asian, Laotian community continues to grow. And we have 
in every way tried to get involved. As you know, we translate into several languages every morning. We have several ethnic groups. We pastor about 700 ethnic people in our congregation in the ethnic district that we have, the Sharon Wager pastors. We have a great inroad into a lot of these people, but we didn't have that 10 years ago. It took some strategizing and building bridges and learning all about those ethnic groups, but we're serious about our Samaria. Then we have the ends of the earth, which represents our global responsibility. Roman number three, and my last point here. The A2 church has to have a strategy that is proven and one that is founded in Scripture but applied in the 21st century. First of all, a strategy given to the leadership by the Holy Spirit. We feel we have that. We have a strategy based on principles and visions and patterns of Scripture and a desire to see a revisiting of the book of Acts. Second, a strategy that's owned by you, the congregation. Any strategy that's owned by the leaders only will never work. Got to be owned by the people and loved by the people, and the people have to be motivated by it. And that motivation has to come from a desire to see more people saved and more people added, and the city more touched, and more salt, more light, more influence. And third, we have to implement together, leaders and congregation, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to implement that with some practical, tangible measuring sticks to know if we're winning or losing. And fourth, we need a strategy that will take great faith. If you're not stretched in your prayer life or your giving life or your witnessing life, you're in a church that doesn't have very much stretching. But if you get into the book of Acts kind of a church, you're going to be stretched. You're going to give more money than you've ever given. You're going to pray more than you've ever prayed. You're going to witness more than you've ever witnessed. You're going to take up responsibility more than you've ever taken up before. How many of you, since you've been in City Bible Church, have given more money than you ever gave before in your life? How many of you have been stretched to pray more than you ever prayed before in your life? How many have been stretched to talk to people more about Jesus than you ever been stretched before in your life? All these stretchings come because we have a desire for strategy. And our strategy has to be implemented in a real tangible way. Let me ask you a question. No guilt, no shame. I'm not asking to, to condemn you in any way. We believe that God would be pleased for us to reproduce ourselves in the metro area. So we've gone that way. That's why we went to the west side. That's why we, we tried something brand new out of the boat to do a simulcast. And nobody knew. Nobody understood it. I didn't even really know what I was getting into, except I felt we should do it. I didn't know if it would work or not, but it has. We're actually adding more services to the simulcast. Both campuses are growing. And now we're looking at how we can reproduce ourselves all over the metro area.